As we think about this day, our daily bread, let us now think about the text from Matthew 6, verse 11, that God has given to us to consider in part today, which says, give us this day our daily bread. And Father, as we consider this text before us, at least in part today, may your spirit so guide us and convict us and encourage us and change us and sanctify us to be more like the glory of our risen Savior into whose likeness we are changed as we behold his glory And we ourselves are changed from glory to glory. This day we ask that we might grow in glory from that which we were yesterday. As you work with us and in us now through this your word. And so sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord in this passage, as we have been covering, is teaching His disciples to pray. We've called it the Lord's Prayer, but perhaps maybe more appropriate would be the disciples' prayer because He is teaching us how to pray. In every one of the petitions that He is revealing to us, we can find everything that we ask of God under one of those six petitions. But prayer is not a mechanism whereby we bend God's will to accommodate our own. But prayer is a means to find the will of God and then thrust it forward with our petitions. Prayer literally means, the word means literally now, to wish forward, to desire forward. And when a man understands the mind of God and he puts his whole being behind it with praying, he pushes it forward. He petitions the will of God forward. He advances this great scheme and this great plan that God has. Prayer is a means in which we have a part in the accomplishment of what God's express will has stated. I don't know how that works, but I know from the truth and the Word of God that it works, and that's what it is. So the more accurately we can understand the will of God, the more precise and effectual our prayers will be, the more energized we will become, and the more we understand that this is something that God has called us to, to the extent that even the church of God is called the the house of prayer. That this is what we are to be about, this is who we are, this is part of our identity, and this is what we do with our God. It's an astounding thing. The largest portion of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer that we are looking at, has to do with petitions. There is certainly a need for and a place for adoration and thanksgiving and prayer of confession and benedictions, and 
doxologies. They all have their place in prayer and all need to be a part of our praying. But mostly, prayer is petitionary. But the bulk of what we pray is really not for our personal needs. In fact, we've already seen the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. God, hallow your name. And what all of that means. May your perfections be manifested throughout the world, not only the world that we know it, but into the invisible creation that He has created. Into the visible creation that we see around us throughout all of history. May your glory go throughout all of the heavens and all of the earth and fill it with your, the knowledge of your perfection. And then the second petition that we pray for is for God's kingdom to come and all of what that means. It has personal application to us. And as we pray this morning for us to come more under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet not only for us individually, though it's true, but us as a church, us as families, us as a society, us as a nation. And for God's will to be done here on earth as it is done perfectly by his angels in heaven. Not not with a stoic resignation, not with a fatalism, not with an entertaining bitterness in our heart when he leads us through the difficulties and trials to accomplish his will, but to do it as compliant, as joyful, as willing as the Lord Jesus Christ himself showed us perfectly how to accomplish that while he lived among us. But now we come to another segment of petitions, and this petition now begins, um, these last three have to do with us. We have first seen that it is right and good and a priority in our praying that we pray, first of all, for God's rights. And those are the first three petitions. But now we come to that which we feel, and that is our needs. As we come to this last segment, they deal with our needs, and they progress from the material to the spiritual. In the first petition of these three, or what begins the fourth petition of the prayer, we're asking that God would give us something. And then the next one, we're asking for Him to forgive us. And then the the last one, which can be broken up into two parts, we're asking that He would guide us and deliver us. The first one has to do with the material world, and the the fifth and the sixth have to do with the spiritual. But the segment that we address this morning, give us this day our daily bread, is the petition that we feel the most for. Before we can really even get into the subject of this prayer request, I want to deal with the manner in which we need to come to this petition. So this morning really is a a preliminary on this petition. It's thinking about it, if you will, in a kind of a prerequisite that we need to have in a mindset, in a worldview, that we can come as we, we then come to this prayer request that generally fills up the majority of the kinds of petition that we pray for because we feel it the most. Now, hopefully, over the course of this whole time together, the 
the balance of our petitions will begin to spread out and to begin to be more God-centered and less personally focused, though God knows that we have need for this fourth petition. That's why he puts it here. But it has its place. But before we come to that place, I want to look at the worldview. The way that we are to approach this petition for that which we feel and that which we need for our material world. And this is an area that tends to have imbalances. And an imbalance in our mindset of the material aspect in our lives. And I want to cover two extremes and two kinds of examples within those two extremes. Recognizing that somewhere between those two extremes is a balance that we need to properly have as we come to pray for our daily bread. On the one extreme, in the far corner over here, is a kind of faithless preoccupation with the material realm. This is the petition that we're praying for something, and specifically in the material realm. But on one extreme is a mindset that has a preoccupation with this material realm. It's a focused preoccupation on our bills, our clothes, our cars, our houses, or the roof that needs to be repaired on our house, our lawns, our farms, our cows, our four-wheel drive trucks, our trailers, our things. And in this extreme of having an imbalance in this kind of material thing, there is an extreme with having a faithless preoccupation of these things. And in that faithless preoccupation on material things, there's two kinds of people, or perhaps maybe two different ways of thinking about it, and we perhaps maybe have experienced both of those in some part of our life or another. There are those, first of all, who are dominated with material possessions throughout your entire day. You go throughout your day and you're just dominated with material things. You're preoccupied with these things. And that's illustrated in verse 19 in a man, in this illustration where Jesus is saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And in that particular preoccupation is a, is a man who lays up for himself treasures on earth. He has an ambition to have more than he actually needs. And to the extent it becomes a preoccupation with his life. That's what he thinks about throughout this entire day. He thinks about his material things. Now that ends in a section in verse 24 where Jesus warns, no one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, there's serve is an idea of a very strong word that means to be enslaved. No man can be enslaved to two masters. Why? It's because a master wants all of your time. He wants everything you have. He wants all of you. You cannot be enslaved to God who wants everything you have and all of you, while at the same time you're enslaved to money because it wants all of you and everything you have. And that's the idea and your mindset. You have to come with a mindset and a certain worldview about material things. You cannot have such a preoccupation with the material world and still call yourself a bond slave of God. So the first kind of person who has a faithless preoccupation with the material one, with the material world, is one who never quite has enough. He's always wanting one more thing. He's always accumulating the next thing. He has this and he thinks about it. He thinks about it constantly. That's where his mind is. It's in the earthly realm. It's in the material world. And that kind of mind, who is preoccupied throughout the day in the material world around him, is that one who has a faithless preoccupation. And that's on one end of the extreme. But there's another kind of person here on that extreme of this faithless preoccupation And that is what verse 25 begins to point out to us. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? The second kind of person in this far extreme of a faithless preoccupation is the person who has this preoccupation, but he presses it in a different way. It's one who expresses a preoccupation with worldly goods because he's anxious about them. This is not a man who is anxious to have more than enough. This is one who is filled with anxiety because he doesn't have enough. And there's instruction for him. Don't worry. This is not the one who is struggling to get ahead and accumulate the next thing. He just wants to get even. He would love to see his bills paid at the end of the month so he doesn't have to cling to one for 24 hours while the other thing goes through. and Doesn't play gymnastics with the checkbook so he makes sure things don't bounce. This is a guy who struggles, concerned that tomorrow there might not be enough bread or food on his table to eat. And see, folks can be preoccupied in a faithless manner on accumulation, but they can also be faithlessly preoccupied in worrying that God's not going to provide. Because they're so 
indoctrinated with the material world. They're so focused on all of this material world. Now, the material world affects us. We all have needs. But there is a mentality with it that we need to bring to the table when we then go and ask God for this day our daily bread. We can be preoccupied with a materialistic spirit because we can be like the one who feels like he just doesn't ever quite have enough or he needs to prepare to an unhealthy degree because he's always thinking about the material world. Or there's the kind of preoccupation that reveals itself not only in this ambition but also in a great anxiety. So over here on this extreme, we have a kind of person who has an improper imbalance in the way he views the material world, one in terms of an imbalanced ambition or the other in terms of an anxious spirit, but both have the same problem and they're preoccupied to an unhealthy and imbalanced degree of the material world in which they live. But over here on the other end of the spectrum, there is another kind of thinking that can pervade our mind and our thinking. And even some of God's choicest servants have had problems even in this great imbalance. And that is a careless presumption in the material world in which we live. And there are two kinds of ways or that that can manifest itself. Like I mentioned, there are two ways in this extreme. There are kind of two ways over here in this extreme that it, we can manifest a careless presumption on this far extreme of the imbalance for the material world. And the first one of those ways it manifests itself is by not laboring sufficiently for our needs. So when we ask the question, how does God meet your needs when you ask for this day our daily bread? How is it that God normally meets those needs? And the answer is through the means of work. Working. You know, that is the the morality and the, the ethic of the fourth commandment that we are to work six days. And with the six days that God has given us in strength, we are to work and labor for six days so that in the seventh, we might have and take a Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is nonsensical if you're not working for the other six. It is not the will of God to have your needs met in your life while you escape from this will of His expressly put in the fourth commandment. This goes way back to the curse, when God cursed the ground for man's sake, and He says, and by the sweat of your brow you will work and labor now. That's the will of God. It is the will of God by the sweat of our brow that we now work. 
Blue-collared people will labor and have exterior and external sweat, and that is still true today, and God is pleased. White-collared people have the internal stresses and pressures and tensions of their job, and internally they sweat in a, in a way, but nonetheless toil in the difficulties in this fallen world. But when we do not work to the extent that we should, it is an immoral situation. It is a careless presumption upon God. And you know, in the Scriptures, God calls that kind of thing disorderly conduct. That's what Paul was addressing in, to the Thessalonian church when he is writing to them. He's addressing the very issue when those were not working like they should in the church he informs them that if you don't work, neither should you eat. That's not harsh. That's moral. And for those that chose not to do so, he says, for I hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working. If you are not working and laboring according to the will of God, then you are disorderly among God's people. Any moral? There are some people in life that have grave financial needs, and when you dig into their history, you find that somewhere along the line, they've been with a kind of presumption in this area where they've not labored sufficiently to meet their needs. In some cases, they've not been honest with the hours that they have claimed to their employers or their contractors or their masters or whatever the context would be. In other cases, they've actually sold their time for far less than they should have. Folks, you have to realize that your time is your life, and it's a very valuable commodity. And Christians need to have a proper balance where he looks at his time and his life and he sees that this is a very valuable thing. And he needs to have an attitude and a spirit of labor to do his best and to do what is necessary and not shortchange the process that honors God. Or else there could be a, a careless presumption. We're living in a world that is a culture of entitlement. And this entitled culture is all around us, and it is very difficult not to be adversely affected by this broader culture, even though we know better. But still there are subtle ways that there's a mindset that can come in from there and affect us affect the way we think about God, the way we think about work, the way we think about what this relationship works, about the process in which God is honored. And one way that I can tell that we are adversely affected by the world around us as it caters to the fallenness is how easy it is for us to complain about our work. Or how easy it is to complain about God's provision or lack thereof. Folks, that is a blasphemy. 
that needs to be repented of and corrected and brought into check because that is the very issue of the heart of the sin that the children of Israel faced at Marah and then again in the passage that we read. It was when God tested them in the wilderness to see if their heart and their perspective to the material world as it is subservient to God Himself that He did disallowed them to go in and inherit the best of the material world for which they did not have to labor. They hardened their heart as in the day of rebellion. And He warns us in Hebrews 3 and 4, He says, do not harden your heart as they did. And they complained against God. The complaint was really, truly a manifestation of a hard heart. And we have to remember a very simple truth. God does not owe us anything. God does not owe you anything. God does not owe you even a crumb from the beggar's table. God does not owe you a certain lifestyle. God does not owe you a certain level of provision. God does not owe you what your monthly bills are adding up to be. God does not owe you even a meager living, much less a lavish one. God does not owe you the clothes you wear today nor the food we will eat this afternoon, nor the bed we will sleep in tonight, or the roof over our heads. God does not owe you. And folks, we have no right to complain about the work that God has provided for us to labor for our provision We have no right to complain about how meager our wealth is. The world in which we live, especially so, more than any other time in history that I'm aware of, is where the government is now giving support to over 50% of the population in America so to the extent that now we have been indoctrinated that we feel that that's what they owe. We are entitled to it. We as Americans. See, we're Americans. We're a part of this corporate sin of this nation. It's not a us and them. It is we. Where people are on disability who have great ability. Who receive food stamps when they can get out and work. And yet now they are influenced not to work in order that they can continue receiving the benefit. And they are beginning to be indoctrinated and have already for some time now with an entitlement attitude. And that entitlement attitude is spilled right over into a people that should know better. 
And it's a cultural mindset that has influence on us so that if we're not keeping up with the Joneses or we don't have the kind of car we want or we, we, we complain... How much do we complain against God's provision while we are the wealthiest people and the richest generation that has ever walked the soil of this earth? And the first kind of person on this extreme of a careless presumption is the kind of person who does not labor sufficiently for his needs and complains about the provision when God does provide by His grace that which God has not owed him. But over here in this extreme of careless presumption, there's another kind of person who perhaps maybe does labor a lot and works very hard and gives himself to the toil. But it's a person who has a careless presumption because he's careless in the stewardship of the material world that God has entrusted to His care. There's an unwise or a presumptuous, presumptive stewardship of the things of this world in the material realm. And sometimes our faith can be very presumptuous. Oh, God will provide. And we sit on our hands. Or... God has provided, and we've let the thing that He has provided go to waste because we didn't take care of the vineyard. This is where sometimes even very well-meaning Christians can err. This can be sometimes where some people have been presumptuous on God and they have learn to be content with living with very little in their life, but they have been very poor stewards of that which God has given them, and they could have had actually very much in their life, even for the help of the kingdom, but they've been poor stewards and let those things go to waste and rot. So there can be a kind of presumption that God will provide, and even that which He has provided is not well cared for being careless with what God has entrusted to us. That's a, that's a presumption. And you can see when we come to the prayer request, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. In a, in a figurative sense, we can think that, well, I'm not going to work for it. <laughs> or, I'm not going to take care of it. Why is half the loaf stale? There's all sorts of variations on a theme of how we approach this prayer request, but if we don't have the right mindset, we're not approaching this prayer even from the very get-go to recognize that God is the God of heaven. He desires for us to ask of this. He knows we have need of Him, and He wants us to recognize every single day and every second of that day we are completely and totally dependent upon Him to give thanks to Him for every crumb that we have that we can scrape up. But you and I don't look like a bunch of crumb gatherers. We look like people who have been dressed 
and well-fed, and we're fat, and we're satisfied, and we're plump, and God has not just given us the meager things. He has lavished upon us things that we did not deserve and that which God did not owe. And what will our spirit and our attitude be like? So when we come to this prayer request, somewhere between those two extremes is a balanced mindset that we must not be carelessly presumptuous upon God, that we are thankful for the work that He provides, and we're honest with that, and that we also are good stewards of the things that He does give to us through that. And on the other extreme, we, we have the other aspect. And yet, here we are, either presuming upon God, or being careless with God, or feeling like God owes us. And we have, oftentimes, a faithless preoccupation with the material world where we're just consumed with worry and doubt and not trusting the promises of God because we can't see tomorrow. Today we have been blessed, but I don't know about tomorrow. So let me just stew on it a little bit more. And we worry. God says, don't worry. He's telling people don't worry who have far less opportunity and far less than you and I have ever had. But it's just as true for us. Or having a faithless preoccupation and accumulation. Well, I've got all these kind of earthly plans. And... But when we understand what prayer is, when we understand that prayer is coming to understand the mind of God for your life and His will expressly written in His Word, and that He's got a plan for you in this life, and He desires to equip you according to that plan, according to His will. And when a man understands the mind of God, and he puts his entire being behind it, so he begins praying and pushing it forward, we understand that God's daily provision is very much a part of pushing His will forward in your life and the life of the world of the kingdom. He's going to provide for you. Not because He owes it to you, but because He's got a plan. And he desires for his plan to be accomplished. And we have these two extremes that somewhere in between that that faithless preoccupation and that careless presumption lies a balanced mindset that we need to come to when we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so when we pray for our material needs, we should be squaring ourselves up with that mindset and the right attitude about what God's will is for your life, where He's put you, the time He's placed you, and the providence for what He has in order for you to accomplish the good works that He has already foreordained that you should walk in them to press forward the will of God and the kingdom in this life And so we petition that of him.
and practically, this time of which we are praying for our needs, practically speaking, takes up oftentimes the majority of our prayer time. But it is having the right attitude and the right disposition, the right spirit in which we must come in our faithful praying to petition this of Him. If we are accumulating or have an undue preoccupation with this material world when we're worrying and not trusting in God's provision, not trusting in His promises, if we are not working like we should, if we are not being honest in our labor or being presumptuous with God regarding the things that we do have, if we are being poor stewards over that which God entrusts to us, if we're robbing God by not tithing to Him that which is due Him, this is all a part of getting squared up with the petition, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Because God does not owe it to us, but He is pleased to provide it. And we must do so in the right spirit and the right attitude if we're going to honor and glorify Him with our lives and what He's entrusted to us. I am mindful that while every one of us individuals fall short here and are constantly in need of getting our mind corrected and knowing that God owns it all and He's got a plan and He's given us the things that we have, and he can take it as quickly as he has given it. I'm also mindful that what is true for the individual can be true for the church, corporately speaking. And so we need to be sure that we are not guilty of praying incorrectly or having a wrong spirit or attitude, even as a church, as we dwell in this earthly uh, state and even in the material things that we have need of. And that we are not in a careless, presumptuous state or we are not in a faithless, preoccupied state as we come to pray for the things that we need. God uses money more than any other illustration in Scripture. When Jesus is speaking to the people, that is His go-to illustration because it quickly gets right to the heart of the matter. And things cost money. In fact, money is so woven into the fabric of our being that our daily bread becomes even a part every single day of every second we live, a part of our living. In fact, right now, it's costing us money to worship. It's going to cost us money to eat our lunch. It's cost us money to show up here today. It costs money for you when you wake up tomorrow. It's going to cost you money when you go to sleep tonight. Money is a part of our life, but how we have a mentality toward those things and the God over it all is revealing of where our heart is as we come to ask God for our daily bread. He knows you have need of these things. He knows more of your need than we know of it. He thinks about all of those details and how those dots connect where we are just far from thinking those thoughts. And he says, come and ask this. This is a right prayer to ask. But we can also be guilty as a church. And Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we will continue to consider this fourth petition as we 
spend a little more time in unpacking another aspect of it. But may God be pleased with us this week to help us in pointing out these imbalances in our thinking and in our life to get us squared up so that we have a right attitude toward the material world around us and we don't have a faithless preoccupation with it, either an accumulation or worry or a careless presumption upon it and not working like we should or not being a good steward over that which God entrusts. And then we can come in the right... This is like a prerequisite, right? We're, we're coming to this prayer request now and asking God, according to your will, then give us this which we need. And he is very pleased to provide it. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you give to us. As you have added this petition, we are mindful that you know of our needs. Lord, it is you that has created us and not we ourselves. And you made us out of dirt. And there that that lifeless corpse, the dirt, was just left there until you came and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And ever since that breath went into us, we are completely dependent upon you for everything in every second we live. And how thankful, O God, that when we have been faithless, you have been faithful. When we have been imbalanced in our thinking and mentality, You've been long-suffering and merciful to provide even those things in those times. But Lord, we desire to glorify you and honor you in how we ask for this day our daily bread. And so we ask that you would square us up with the mindset to be more like Jesus as he walked here and showed us a perfect example. Lord, where... Where's the food going to come from to feed so many people, 5,000 men? And our Lord was not troubled. What about the storm when the disciples were fearing for their lives and our Lord slept in the midst of the anxious time and then rebuked the disciples and, yea, even us for worrying? For how much time we preoccupy ourselves concerned about tomorrow when tomorrow has not even yet come. Tomorrow is just the realm of possibility and not the realm of reality to us. And yet how much focus we give on worrying about things that are not even real. Forgive us, Lord. But we have found, not only are you faithful, but... You have poured into our cup and pressed down until it just overflows and continues to overflow with your goodness and grace and provision. And we ask that you would forgive us for all of our complaints, for our hard-heartedness, for focusing our attention way too much on this earthly and material realm, which is very much a part of our life. But we often fail to see the God behind it. And so we ask that you would cleanse us from our sins and square us up to be more faithful 
And as we approach this prayer, we pray that our mindset would be more holy, more reverent, more submissive, more thankful, with a greater appreciation and gratitude for everything that you have given us in life. For we are complete in Christ. We lack no good thing. Assure us with this, for surely we will, we will struggle. We'll struggle even before the day is out. And we ask that you would, with your spirit, make us to be mindful, not to be forgetful hearers today, but be doers of the word. All to the glory of our risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.